Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, these are some of our favorite segments from this week, all edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Uh, yeah. So, without further ado, here is the Weekly Zeitgeist. We are thrilled, Miles, fortunate, blessed to be joined by one of the funniest stand-up comics in the world. Wow. Her comedy Central presents as a classic. Uh, she was voted Portland's funniest comic multiple times. You know her from Last Comic Standing, her own podcast, Who's Your God? And you can see her live again. Check her website for dates. Please welcome Amy Miller! Amy! Hello, this is wife and it's my birthday <laughs> here's what Happy i birthday, want sweetie <laughs> hey guys what do, you want? what do you want for your birthday you have a good when's your birthday december 31st new year's okay. eve baby so oh, this wow. one did you have a kind of birthday this time or you think this is this next year oh, this is the one no well I had, it was my 40th birthday, this last oh, one, okay. and my friends made me a Counting Crows video. I mean, all, a bunch of my friends sang Long December and cut it together, <laughs> and I watched, I was alone in a hotel room, but I had a Zoom party. It was weird, but fun. Nice. You know, wow. it's something a... I'm never going to forget, for sure. <laughs> right. Did anybody have Adam Durwitz dreads in the video? Okay, yes, one person did, and I think it was probably not okay because it was a white man. He did, like, he, he like, <laughs> he didn't wear them. You know, he did it with a computer. Yeah, that's But hey, then look, they were. You're, you're imitating <laughs> of the problematic Adam Durowitz. You're, you're honoring the source material. Unless he's like, no, Amy, I've been growing these. <laughs> they tried to contact him many times because for a birthday message or to be in the video because, you know, we're all from the East Bay. So, like, they did oh, have connections shit. they could call in, and then he didn't respond. And then someone was like, oh, he's on Cameo, so we can just pay him 150 Aww. bucks." And so he made a Cameo for my 40th, and he said, please stop having your friends contact my dad. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't where... know about any of it. <laughs> so please personal. Stop. I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it was a weird birthday, but. Is it just because you guys share kind of uh, area of origin, or are you a big Cannon Crows crow head? <laughs> I co guess I, I guess I am a pretty big crow head. Um, also, oh, it was shit. just it was just funny because yeah, we're all from like we all met in Berkeley, where he's from, and you know, I don't know. It's long December. It's a yeah. classic about December and how things are going to be better next year. Like it was, it was just amazing. I'll send you the video. You're going to be. I gotta see this. Blown away by the effort. <laughs> I mean, I felt very <laughs> loved. That's for sure. So you are the opposite of the bait, like those first baby born. Like you are the last baby born. Of, yeah, of yeah. Um, I was born at like six a.m., so I don't think my mom could have waited until the new year. Right, but, right. Yeah. <laughs> but where are last... your headlines? You know, where <laughs> where are the headlines for the six a.m. on December thirty first babies? I know. I think the headline should be that my mom lived in the East Bay and got a doctor in San Francisco. So I was officially born in San Francisco. Why would you? Do, why would you? Plan to cross a bridge when you're in labor. That's what I don't understand. Yeah, what if a, there's traffic? Oh, my God. What if there's a... I won't even say it. Yeah. If um, I had been born two hours later, you know, I would have been born on the bridge. That would be oh, pretty wow. tight. And then they'd that be singing be a different tight. song for you. I think birthday. that's a Creedence Clearwater <laughs> yeah. song. Born, born on, the bridge. on a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Another East Bay band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What is something from your search history that's revealing about who you are? Well, I have one from last night. And I'd like to blame this on being in this like very strict quarantine where I'm bored. But this is something it, you could find in my search history on any given night, which is I, I recently did search uh, Roddy Piper, Greg the Hammer Valentine dog collar match. So I wanted <laughs> to watch that dog collar match from 1983. Mm. And I couldn't find a full video of the dog collar match. I didn't search too hard because I actually found an oral history of the 1983 Greg Hammer, <laughs> Greg the Hammer Valentine and Roddy Piper dog collar match. Wow. So I did spend a chunk of last night reading an oral history of a very bloody wrestling match from 1983. And I'll stand by that. 
what what is a dog collar match for our listeners who are uninitiated? Dog collar match. I don't know if it was a thing that pre-existed these guys, but they would do this match where they both put a leather collar around their neck and then they were connected neck to neck via these chains. Beat it style. Beat it. Yeah, it just style. had yeah. these yeah. brutally violent. They'd wrap their fists in the chains and they'd drag each other across the ring by the chain and really like bloody, brutal match. And uh, I was reading last night, I didn't realize there's this famous one from 1983 and then I didn't realize it was so popular they had to go around the country and do like all the different territories and they wound up oh doing this match 40 times that oh. year. And they both talked to like talking about how like, I think Roddy Piper, his ear was torn in half and oh, they both had like semi-permanent hearing loss from it by the end. Like all this, all this insanity that these wrestlers put us through back then. And you think back in those days too, when you're like, this was not like, this was like pre Hogan becoming like, pop culture superstar this was for them like all right i guess we got to go like entertain the southern half of louisiana by ripping our ears off tonight right Right. next week i guess we'll be up in omaha ripping our other ear (laughs) off yeah maybe only wrap the chain like three times around my face this time before you (laughs) rip it off yeah can you maybe take out my teeth my ears are still healing. Aim for my teeth this time. <laughs> the photos look pretty erotic, though. When you look at the still images, you're like, whoa, okay. I see what's going on here, uh, WWE. It is, it is pro wrestling. There is yeah. always going to be some uh, homoeroticism inherent in yeah. it. Some fans might not like to admit that, but let's call it what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like wrestling back then was closer to like being a carny or like in the circus, I guess, would be the, the closer thing where you came to town people came and saw you but it wasn't it wasn't on tnt like, that right. blew my mind when i i realized that they also did shows that weren't televised because i went to one and i was like wait where are the cameras and i'm like this isn't this is an exhibition and i was like what they do yeah. this all the time <laughs> like almost kill themselves cool i'm really fascinated too back in those days when it was the territories like John Darnell from the Mountain Goats has this famous story I love where he grew up in Southern California and hated Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper was like the biggest asshole, the enemy of the Guerrero family. And then he went to visit his dad up in Portland, Oregon, and he took him to wrestling matches and they introduced Roddy Piper and John was ready to like boo his head off and everybody started cheering because in Portland they were just running a different storyline. But because there was no national TV, it was like... Oh, you can be like actually causing riots in LA through your like bad guy heel anti-Mexican rants. And then up in Portland, right. you are like a beloved hero pillar of the community. They love you. Right. It's not even well, that far away. Yeah. They might not have had to change the storyline that much. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, in Oregon. True. Given like, Portland's yeah. background. <laughs> that's true. That is yeah. true. Yeah, you you are somebody who I've always been interested to hear talk about kind of regionalisms. I think it was on Beautiful Anonymous you talked about like just weird New Jersey early on. That that always got me fascinated. That site is pretty pretty incredible. I worked for them. That for anyone who doesn't know, that's a magazine about sort of like ghosts and local legends in Jersey. I worked for them for four or five years in my my early twenties, and it's the best job I will ever have. It's, yeah. it, wait, it's called Weird New Jersey? Yeah, yeah, and it oh, started out as that. a fanzine, and it just kind of kept getting more and more cult access in Jersey, and then it eventually, a lot of people, if you've been to like a Barnes & Noble, you may know that, like, I wound up writing a book called Weird New York, and then they did Weird US, and then all these different states, it became this like coffee table book series, but the beating heart of it has always been this kind of underground fanzine in New Jersey, and I was very, very lucky to find it when I did, and I encountered some situations that were truly foolish and terrifying, and I can't believe it was a gig. And it yeah. sort of helped me realize, like, going on to be an entertainment, I always felt like it was one of these things that gave me a little bit of an advantage where I was like, there's all these rules here, but I also know that you might be able to, like, make a healthy living off of a fanzine about New Jersey-based ghosts. Right. So I don't... <laughs> I've right, never felt right. a total need to like buy in on the system side of things. Right, right. They're a big part of why. And I do Incredible. think there's something about New Jersey that's like a click up in terms of just weirdness. I don't know. Maybe through your research into New York, you found that wasn't true. But like, oh, it my, totally is. Yeah, my yeah. family uh, has a story that my grandma and my aunt, when my aunt was a child, broke down on the 
I, I think it was Jersey Turnpike. It might have been like another highway around there, but like by the Pine Barrens. Oh, yeah. And a guy just came out of the pines with a hammer and was try attacking the car. And they had to like run there back then, like the way you called for help was there was like a phone every like quarter mile oh a call box yeah yeah a call box and so they were like running back and forth to the call box while this guy kept running out of the pines with a hammer just like covered in mud trying to attack their car classic pineys <laughs> they there's they call them pineys the people who kind of live within the pine barrens and do their own thing and my friend group i sadly was not there this particular night but my friend group has this story from high school that we all still say this phrase to each other where they were going to see some punk show in a place called Browns Mills, New Jersey, which is, we were North Jersey kids, the Pine Barrens. That was like, you know, like trying to go to Mordor to us. It didn't make sense. <laughs> and like no GPS back then. Right, right, right. They got super lost and they pulled into this shady looking gas station that like looked like it was off a movie set in the middle of the Pine Barrens. And this guy comes out and they just go, uh, hey, can you help us out? Like how do you get to Brown's Mills? And the guy just took a deep breath and turned and just turned to them and inexplicably went, how do you get to Brown's Mills? And they just like hit the gas and peeled out and just got out of there. They're like, Fuck this South Jersey pine barren nonsense. What was that? Haunted sea captain. Yeah. Shit. Still certain friends in my life where if I want to, Make them laugh. I'll just go, how do you get to Brownsville? <laughs> what is something you guys think is overrated? This is actually what we were prepared for. Okay. <laughs> this question. Shitting. <laughs> Shitting. <laughs> I did have one. I actually thought about last night. I did not tell you, though. Oh, damn. But hopefully you agree with this. I Okay, picnics. Because... I mean, every time I eat outside, I think you get, well, usually there's a lot of bees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I should have talked to uh, Anna about this one before. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> What you're hearing is that I'm captivated and I'm enamored constantly yeah. and I'm constantly impressed by you. And so this kind of goes into that because I hear you. And even though I haven't heard you say these words before, I go, I'm right there with her. I yeah. am right. I am right there. That's why this That's works. Over, overrated. Yeah. Because there's ants. Because there's ants and there's bees, and it's just, I, don't, I think it's hard to eat comfortably outside. Can I even add? Yes. Dining al fresco. I know it's a, it's a, it's a necessary <laughs> evil at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and I know some people are like, look, it's like Portugal or whatever. Right. I don't like when people walk by and look at my food. I feel too exposed. Oh, don't shit. look at my food. It's private. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I wish I could. I don't like dining al fresco. I don't like a picnic. I just don't like eating outside. Can you, okay, okay, can you bear eating outside if it were a place that isn't like a high trafficked foot area? Like it's just a section that is dining outside. But I get, cause like I was eating outside for the first time recently and it was like one of those sidewalk adjacent things. And you're like, uh, man, like this person on the fucking bird scooter almost knocked over the fucking water station. It was like a nightmare. <laughs> exactly. I don't like that level of like scrutiny from the street. It I should agree. be up for discuss. I don't need uh, even a facial opinion. You know what? It really for me, this comes from uh, I'll say a trauma. I know we're throwing the word trauma around a lot nowadays, but I was eating in San Francisco. Fisherman's Wharf already a huge mistake. I'm eating a lobster bisque. I took a chance on a soup that I wasn't previously acquainted with. The soup was. Bread bowl? It's a bread bowl, yeah. but I'll be very honest with everybody here. The soup was green. It was a green lobster bisque. Yeah. That's it's nice. not your average looking bisque. Mm. I understand. But people were walking by and really looking into my soup uh, in a way that. No. You know, I'm already facing this. The, I'm suffering the consequences of my soup. Okay. Right. I don't need added. Okay, I know that's not what you were talking about originally. Yeah, but I'm happy you added to what I said. <laughs> you really got me going on. It really helped me. <laughs> you really got my me. answer. Yeah. Oh, we're coming back to you, Kyle. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, don't you worry. I, <laughs> I like the name Alfresco. I think that's fun. Yeah, yeah. Alfresco is a nice name for name your kid or yeah. Alfresco. Alfresco. Maybe you yeah. get a second dog. Yeah, I get a second dog. I'll name yeah. Alfresco. I like when yeah. Shakey's Pizza in Glendale was trying to do Alfresco dining. <laughs> Shakey's Pizza in Glendale. in Glendale. Oh, they had they a sign briefly in the pandemic that said, "But you know, come come do Shakey's Al Fresco," and it was just a parking lot in Glendale. Yeah, and, yeah, that's a I that's mean, a bit of a mismatch, like linguistically, <laughs> yeah. when you're like 
Shakey's al fresco. You're like, no, hold on, hold on. Let's and just don't be forget like, Glenn yeah, Bale. y'all can eat in the parking lot now. <laughs> that feels like more on point because we're there for the mojos. Let's be real. Absolutely. But Kyle, you said, are you are you like with bees and stuff? I know you said you don't like the the the, <laughs> the picnic. I get it. I'm with somebody who hates bees, and when they get stung, like it's a fucking problem. So is it? Do you have like a real aversion to bees, or are you just in general like, eh, I don't like sitting on the ground. Your ass gets wet sometimes because the grass, the moisture seeps through, and then suddenly you got a wet butt. I don't like any of this. Like, where? Just help me understand where you're coming wow. from. Wow. Thank you for also helping my answer. <laughs> no, I'm like, I, I'm just trying to make sure we're on the same page. No, we're on the same page. I think I do have an aversion to bees. I mean, but I mean, who doesn't? I mean, when you see a bee, you're not going to be like, ah! like start running and get, try to get away from the bee. It's like, but I mean, I think growing up, it's like I always go to these picnics and it's like there'd be so many bees and it's just mm-hmm. not, I, I just don't want to get stung you know I, I know there's a problem with the bees so no offense to no offense no offense yeah, to no bees offense. because they're right. i think going instinct so i'm not trying to hate they're going through it but i, I just don't <laughs> <laughs> they're going through it and yeah, you know they gotta respect that and <laughs> go girl we've all been there <laughs> girl we've been no. there girl, I get it. i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> it's okay it's okay <laughs> but i just don't want i just don't like them you know my space you got your space. I got. Theirs. I got my space. Yeah. Yeah. The degree was... to which, like, my behavior was shaped by early bee stings, like, just I never would walk outside without shoes on because I stepped on a bee like once when I was four years old. The I f- I feel like I've been guided by bee stings. And then I just got stung by a bee for the first time in like twenty years over the weekend by a dead bee. I was picking no. up some picking up a big clump of leaves and there was a dead bee in there and it stung yeah. my fingy yeah. and it That's really yeah. I don't know how long how long right. ago it's been since you guys got stung but those still hurt the, that's one thing that hasn't gone away about the bees they're yeah. still <laughs> bastards I still feel like there is there's this idea like yo man like once you're like 20 man a bee sting doesn't hurt yeah, I was like, and then like I, d- I too had a bee sting like for the first time since like high school a few years ago and I was like <laughs> like it was so fucked. Like it fucked me up so bad, and then I was so mad at myself. I was like, "Your pain threshold should be high." <laughs> what the fuck happened to you, man? But uh, I learned to live with the bee stings, and I, now Jack, you won't go outside with without gloves now. Yeah, I no, yeah, that's why I'm wearing these two sparkly Michael Jackson gloves. <laughs> I think but I like curly from of mice and men type thing. We then like <laughs> went swimming at our uh, neighbor's house. And every time a bee got in the pool, I like made everyone get out until I could like fish it out. <laughs> I was like really like fucked Blowing up. Blowing a from whistle. Thing. Like, yeah. Beep. All right, guys. Out. <laughs> everyone. Spotted yeah. another one. This is bullshit. You think getting swallowed by a whale is bad? Try getting stung by a swimming bee. Wow. What uh what's something you think is underrated? I this might be sac- sacrilege to say, but I think um listening to anything other than podcasts, is underrated. And I cannot tell you how consistently it feels like a miracle whenever I just, like, remember that I can listen to something other than a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'm like, like oh, music. music. Oh, my yeah. God. Like, who would have thought? This is amazing. Uh, you know, or, like, audiobooks. I mean, I listen to a ton of audiobooks. But I just, I mean, I work in this industry. It's what I do. I love podcasts. But, but that, like, there's just something magical about giving my ears something else to listen to. For sure. And I, and it feels like fresh and new every time. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, my, my search constantly is for new music because that's like the one dragon I keep chasing is like when you just hear a, like a new artist or like a new album or that you're like, where was this my whole yeah. life? Yeah, yeah. And that to me is like some of the, the, that's what the juice of life is. But yeah, I find myself really leaning into that although i've been the audiobook pendulum has been swinging very aggressively back into my life again so yeah i listen to i would say the majority of what i listen to that's not music is, is audiobooks instead of podcasts hit me point. uh hit me with a good audiobook that you've i'm listening i'm listening to um uh, a brief history of seven killings have you heard that marlon james yeah, yeah. Or, or read that i have read that with my ears yeah there you go uh really and really well well read yeah but a uh, brilliant book I will say, of course, to undercut myself, Marlon James also hosts a really good podcast. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. You, should, you can go listen to him. Wait, what he, is he this podcast? Does, he does this amazing thing. I forget what it's called, but um, it's it's a podcast that he hosts with his editor, and they just have an amazing relationship. And it's the kind of thing that, like, 
I feel like a really good novelist and their longtime editor have a type of relationship that's yeah. probably unique in the in the world, right? And so they have that and they just talk about books they love. But it's, you know, it's really based around their chemistry. But it's like so open and I mean I wouldn't I don't know. I've been people's editor and I've had editors. I don't know if I would ever have those like really honest open conversations, knowing that then at some point I'm gonna have to you know, send them my work and they're going to have to tear it apart or right. we're going to have to, I don't know. But uh, it's a, it's a really great, it's a really great podcast. <laughs> so underrated is, is his podcast. I know, I know. <laughs> somehow, somehow came back to recommending a freaking yeah. podcast after all this. Miles, what do you read? What do you, uh, what audio book do you read? My Life in Red and White by the man, former manager of Arsenal, Arsene Wenger, and it's Ooh. narrated by him as well. And he just has a fantastic perspective on life and soccer, football, as it were. And I think for a lot of fans of Arsenal, myself included, like there are a lot of things that happened during his tenure that he never really spoke about with much depth. He wasn't really always like giving like the most sort of open interviews. But in this book, he's able to really speak about how he saw player management like he you know he like has a background as an economist and that factored heavily into how he even like managed trades and things like that so there are there are moments as fans are like well why would he trade this person or like what's going on like why what's why do we keep these people and then you find out like sort of from from his perspective so it's a nice like sort of post-mortem on his time there and his voice is just you know classic miles do you do you know that show desert island discs that bbc show it's I've like, heard of it. Yeah, it's like been running for like eighty some yeah. years now. But it's basically a guest talks about the five or eight records they would take with them onto a desert island. But it's yeah. sort of an excuse to talk about. But he did one of my favorite desert island discs. Oh, really? In recent memory, if not of all time, it's just phenomenal. So go check it out. But yeah, he's and he's got a great voice. Yeah, and very thoughtful guy. And you know, yeah, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I, but I admire him. Yeah, changed the game, and now he's. Now he's wrapped up in FIFA, so he can't really even speak sp scathingly of this body that is probably actually ruining the game. But yeah. hey, you know that's that's how they get you. I can give a uh, anti recommendation for a <laughs> audio book. Don't is, get this one, folks. No, you should get it, but just don't do what oh. I did. I fell asleep listening to Blood Meridian. Oh uh, no, 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 no! You don't want to do that. Other oh boy! No, 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 no. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then I was like, why? Why am I so like? Anxious today. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It was because uh, Blood Meridian was dancing. Th visions of Blood Meridian were dancing through my head. I thought it would give me, like, some insight into, you know, we, we need to know about Texas now as... <laughs> <laughs> as they're about to descend into an apocalyptic post-electricity hellscape, uh, I was like, "Let's let's get into this Blood Meridian." I've been hearing so much about. Yeah, that's that's fucked up. Uh, who I don't. It? I don't know who narrates it. Okay. I just did uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, narrated by uh, Lawrence Fishburne, and that was fucking amazing. Narrators can do, yeah, so much. But Jody, just based on your uh, podcast. I was curious if there are any like esoteric th moments in history or esoteric kind of trends in history that you think are kind of underrated in terms of understanding the the current zeitgeist and kind of modern America. I'm sure there's a ton, but like yeah, any hmm. one that sticks um, out to you? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, you know, I I try and be open, you know, part of this is like you bring a lens of your own. And so I, I'm one of these people who often, I kind of feel like every story is a media story. And so, you know, I just feel like in every conversation we have at some point, it comes down to just the like radical transformation in media that goes back further than maybe, you know, Fox News came around in the early 2000s or in the in the right. late 90s. But, you know, you um, and my co-host, Nicole Hammer, studies wrote an amazing book called Messengers on the Right and wrote, a, you know, and, and studies a lot how especially the GOP came to really um, radicalize around new media in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. But that's that's the kind of thing that I always feel like doesn't get right. You know, it doesn't get rated properly. It's just the way in which we've just been fractured intentionally by uh, our changing media landscape. Uh, so there's just all sorts of stories of people who were doing stuff in the 50s and 60s and 70s where you're like, oh, that's the blueprint that we're just seeing right now. You know, right. Facebook's just Facebook's just the latest iteration of, of you know, yeah. the way in which it just which... took all the breaks off. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Jill Lepore on your most recent episode was talking about how 
the current culture wars are basically the modern like leftovers from the uh, cold war not the leftovers but no it's basically they kept the cold war going by attacking left-wing politics within america yeah i had i actually you know when she said that it was i first time i'd ever heard anyone really frame it that way yeah a few people been like you know but basically she said you know and this is the brilliance of Jill Lepore was just this sort of like tossed off comment, but she was like, you know, when we quote unquote won the Cold War, all of the moves were still there. And so we just turned those inwards and we started fighting the Cold War with each other. And I was like, oh, right. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it was a very good insight. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about culture wars. And we're back. And the Biden administration has been a little strange for the lack of kind of scandals coming from the right. Like they I haven't heard about him wearing a the wrong suit to anything uh, the way that we, we did when Obama was in power. The, you know, Fox News just could bring up anything about him and like their majority racist viewership was just ready to hate him. But Biden looks exactly like their majority racist viewership. So now they and I think also his policies are pretty popular. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, they don't they, remember they didn't want to talk about the stimulus because people right. were like, yeah, I need money from the government. Are you kidding me? I don't I'm not working right now. So they're like, uh, talk about Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, so now they have to talk about Mr. Potato Head, Dr. Seuss. And the big one these days is now critical race theory. Yeah. And it's 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 completely like like you said, it's we're in a whole new environment where they can't even focus on even the low hanging fruit, which would be like, what has Joe Biden actually done from his campaign promises? Because I would if you're looking for something to be critical of, that's something you could go down a list and be like, well, where's that student debt relief? Uh, Where was that that weird math where twenty one hundred certainly turned into a different amount of uh, stimulus money? But now it's critical race theory. And we've talked about before how. This has been a conscious effort to create this like outrage over it. And the numbers, I think, are starting to show that this is very clear. Fox News mentioned critical race theory 552 times in the previous 11 months. And then wow. it ramped up in Jeez. the last three, which with a, there's another number that's like over 600. And it's only gotten more and more. Last week, they shoehorned it into coverage 125 times in Jesus five days. Christ. And then so then... You see, we've seen all their coverage or a lot of coverage in the media of this has been, you know, people in Florida or Texas, like governors and legislators trying to be like, we got to stop teaching this or like scenes of like outraged, like racist parents at these school board meetings being like, don't teach them history. What is this? It's destroying us. And yeah, the biggest thing that's just the biggest miss of all of this, or at least in the reporting, is that, first of all, it's a decades old academic discipline, but on top of it. This is taught at the graduate level, like when you are in university. This isn't we didn't grow up with like, all right, kids, now open up your critical race theory books as like first graders. So all of the energy is completely misplaced. And this is all by design because they just need this catch all outrage topic to get people sort of they just need an energy to exploit. And yeah, I think the more you you hear what how people talk about it, you're like, do they even know what this is? Or this is just the new dog whistle that can play a bunch of different tunes. Right. Didn't like one of them was one of the conservative politicians was asked to describe like what critical race theory is. Mm-hmm. And the the person whose last name is Pringle, uh, appropriately enough, said, yeah, from Alabama. Uh, It basically teaches that certain children are inherently bad people because of the color of their skin, period. Huh? That's a lot to unpack. (laughs) (laughs) These people. From whose perspective? These people, when they were doing the training programs and the government, if you don't buy into what they taught you 100%, they sent you away to a re-education camp. Uh, 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 hmm? What do you mean? The white male executives are sent to a three-day re-education camp where they were told that their white male culture wasn't there. Okay, let's just we'll stop him there. I, yeah, it's huh, <laughs> sir? Are you okay? Because this is like just hearing that in the in the wake of the uprisings last summer, there were companies saying like, 
we need racial sensitivity training because there are clear blind spots from a corporate mm. culture that need mm. to be addressed. Yeah. And then this is now turned into they're what they're fucking their heads are bagged and they're thrown into a fucking van and then driven like <laughs> right? to the dark side of town for like God, have their eyes damn. peeled open to watch like a bunch of fucking rap videos. I don't know what the fuck they think this is. <laughs> and it goes on still like the other like attacks are people saying, quote, minority students are going to suffer the most from this. When you teach students that the system uh -huh. is against them, they have no motivation to learn. They are not going to try to work. They are not going to try to improve themselves. Wow, oh. Seinfeld was doing that part. It sounded like. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> they're, gonna, they're not going to improve themselves. He says, I mean, this whole idea that it's like, oh, thank you, the savior person, for saving me from being defeated by acknowledging that I'm surviving in a racist construct. Yeah. Like, what, what exactly is the concern there? And I think this has been going, it's, it's just gaining more and more momentum. But I think this is the part where you really see what it's all about. Because underneath it, it's just like the other threats are that it will lead kids to Marxism. And this is the last thing that this guy Pringle said. He said, quote, this is still the greatest country that ever, ever been in the history of the world. Okay. Uh, and the radical left is trying to destroy that and tear us apart and divide this country based on race and class, which is exactly what they do in communist countries. Uh-huh. I don't so you don't so you yeah. don't know what communism is either. <laughs> okay, cool. God damn, they love comparing things to like concentration camps and like just implying. Did you see that? What's her face, Marjorie? Whatever. Yeah, I was just gonna say like as one of them is apologizing for comparing masks to. Uh, yeah, she's like, I had the no Holocaust. idea. Like, was she not? Also, it took taught... you 40 years to go to a Holocaust museum. Like, yeah, yeah were right. you not taught that? Was she not taught that? And this is why we need better education because well, she right. didn't know what the Holocaust was. And then she's like, like y'all, I was just in that museum. <laughs> it <laughs> happened. Have you guys it fucked up? <laughs> she literally said, hey, it happened. Uh -huh. Like, are you, what? Where did you, where they just you don't know. From? I saw this, I saw this TikTok the other day. Where this like Republican lady was complaining about the Quaker Oats guy on the canister uh -huh. and was like, if we're going to change Aunt Jemima, we should get rid of this slave owner on the this can of oats. Wow. And like someone was like, great, that's not a slave owner. That's a Quaker. That's a completely <laughs> different. Right. That's not a slave owner. You they don't like, they, that. Just no one knows what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. I mean, and then I think even with that Marjorie Taylor Greene comment, it's like. It just shows you how much of a threat these kinds of people are when this yeah. is their worldview. And then they enter the yeah. halls of Congress to, you know, drum up legislation that is trying to reinforce their worldview where maybe the Holocaust. Had, I don't know. I don't right. know. Maybe Terrifying. Really fucked up. Views Were you on... there? Were you there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. That's like her. It's so crazy. I went to like a shitty public school in Michigan and I know about the Holocaust, like at the very least. Right. Or I maybe know you didn't have is. parents at home that were saying, you know, it didn't happen. It Deniers didn't, I don't know if they're teaching right. you. Because I, right. I, in eighth grade, we took a trip to D.C. I, I may have told this story before. Before we were going into the Holocaust Museum, our teachers, before we got off the bus, said, hey, I just want to let you know, we got a letter from a parent that said that the Holocaust never happened. And that they didn't want they didn't want your classmate in to go to this uh, museum. Oh, my God. And I just want to let all of you know, I'm not going to say who it is, but I just want to let you know that there are people who are going to deny what all of the things you are about to see in this museum. And it was really poignant. Wow. It was Damn. like it was like everyone was like, yo, what the fuck? And I mean, growing in L.A., we're like, we saw Schindler's List. It was best picture. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, then we go in and that was sort of, wow, that was my first time even hearing that people were like, what do you, but that shit happened. Like, what are you talking about? I didn't, for know, that I didn't know about Holocaust deniers until maybe like 10 years ago. I had no idea it was a thing. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> Very cool. Cool time we live in. Cool, cool. Marjorie Taylor Greene. What, what, cool, a, cool what a threat. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's talk about hunts for leaks. This, this is just a story we see all the time. We kind of got a taste for it during the Trump administration when like a story would come out that was based on a leak or a whistleblower. And then we would get to hear about like Trump kind of trying to ferret out the leak. And also he would tweet 
he would give us like a live look into window into his brain as he like was being furious about it. And then we kind of learned that you think that like reporters were like, you think this is bad. Obama was like worse. He like was really aggressive about going after anybody who leaked and just like digging through their emails and shit. Mm-hmm. And now that is a big part of the story about, you know, the ProPublica story that we just talked about earlier last week, where they leaked the tax records of individual billionaires. You know, they instead of it being like, here are 50 anonymous people who are the richest in America, they were like, no, you get to see who these people are, because that is how we understand stories is like. Mm -hmm via these characters and like they are making themselves celebrities so we are going to use that to uh make our point and i think it was really important reporting and now the story that's being told in the mainstream is like they're hunting down the leaker uh the irs has like referred it to the fbi and i don't know just generally in reality when you accuse someone of something and their response is who told you that? And then making the entire argument about who told you that. Um, that's usually like a pretty good sign that that person is doing something wrong. What but, you heard is accurate. To right. a certain extent. <laughs> but for some reason, unless it's being done by the Trump administration, this hasn't really hit our brains as like an evil thing that becomes like the focus of our attention. I think that it's also like a lot of these billionaires must be mad at certain other billionaires because they're not even, I can't help but feel like there's something to be said for like, oh, Elon Musk is going to host SNL and then Jeff Bezos is going to announce he's launching himself into space. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, there's very little sympathy for me right now about these people's privacy rights. If I'm being honest, like (laughs) it's going to be hard for me to go like, well, I would hate it if my tax info got out there. Like, yeah, but I also don't, you know, dominate the American economy and fight unionization and launch myself into orbit. <laughs> like, it, 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 I don't do that either. So, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to worry too much about how who leaked that, you know, but I bet that you got like Warren Buffett sitting around going like, I play it cool. I shouldn't. <laughs> right. like, these, a lot of these people spend a lot of time and money staying directly out of the spotlight that makes it. Um, so enjoyable to want them to get taken down. They'd prefer we didn't know this. They must be looking at Elon going, get the fuck off a of live TV. What's wrong with you? St- yeah. Stay off a of You're making it hot for the rest of the exactly. drug dealers, essentially. Exactly. That is, it is interesting. It's kind of become a new strategy of like, like billionaires used to, I guess they didn't used to lay low. They used to like buy colleges and name them after themselves. So <laughs> they've always liked having their name out there, but it's, it just seems like the trying to like chase celebrity, probably like having more PR dollars spent on their own like personal image than most companies. I'm sure like that seems to be a new a new angle. And the thing I, that they've arrived on is go to space, man. People people think that shit's cool. And at least a college is like I'll put my name on this thing, and other people go and learn there. And then right. there's areas right. that you'll learn, like right. you know, like these billionaire industrialists back in the day, where it's like I'm going to build Grand Central Station because I want I want my city's train station to be better than anybody else. It's like you're still building a public service thing. It's like, dude, you're just going to go like read cue cards on NBC television <laughs> and like right. smirk about it, and none of us are even sure how much of what you do is real, man. Like. Right. Yeah, I'm not going to feel too bad when somebody's like, check out the dirt I got on these people. It's hitting a breaking point, you know, and it's yeah, it's actually just really scary because it's like they're going to go after the leakers, but it's not like anything changed after the Panama Papers either. And it's just you got to sit here and you wonder, oh, it's like it really it really does feel like this is not going to change. They're not going to opt out of this. Like it's going to need to be taken away from them. And at that point, you're talking about like, oh, is there going to have to be like an actual like revolution against billionaires because it seems like they're getting a lot of chances to go at least put in a token effort to give some of this stuff back you know yeah. right it feels that way and i think until like culturally we we shift away from just being like oh having a lot of money is good and cool it will always have like this love affair with like people who like have just oh could you imagine that's so cool you have so much money like you don't even know what to do with it and i think 
slowly, I think more and more look, more and more people look at billionaires and go, no, they're, that's, that's bad. This, they're hoarding the wealth. And that's why there's a lot of people are lacking is because these people, A, don't pay their fair share. And they're just concentrating all their wealth off of the backs of the people that work for them. Um, and I think until we can like shift culture for like a billionaire or a millionaire, you know, some like hyper wealthy person to show up like on a screen in a sitcom and people don't go, oh, woo, Ferrari. And they start going, <laughs> boo, oh my God, it's a fucking evildoer. Like that, uh, that's, I think, the important shift that <laughs> that has to take place at some point, at least in popular culture. Right. I feel like some of these guys are really starting to come off to me like if Willy Wonka didn't share any candy. And it's like, and now you're just a psycho. You're just like a psycho in crazy clothes with like a weird warehouse full of experiments. Right. And you don't even share the candy. Like we don't even he does do that. The, he does the golden ticket thing, but he keeps them all for himself and then just right. like makes a big deal about how much candy he can eat. It's, He's like, damn, I got each one? Huh, who'd have thought? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to your point, Chris, I think the the message of this leak is obviously the rules are broken, right? Like it's so like there was the CNBC segment that was embedded in uh, one of the articles about how like the IRS is hunting these people down. And the CNBC anchor was like, it's not tax evasion, it's tax avoidance. Like, I don't see what the big deal is. And like one of the people, I think it was Jim Cramer actually on the panel was like, ah, oh, they're going to be mad at me, but I'm. I think these billionaires need to pay more money, and they're like, "What are you talking about? How are you going to do that? If they're not booking the money, but like they just can't think beyond where but they're those are refusing." The rules. Yeah, they're refusing. Like, to yeah, think they suck. The rules are bad. That system is broken. But and to like, be yeah, fair, how are you going to make them book it? I called him out before, like in a joking, but I think Warren Buffett is the one who has gone on record and said, like, they absolutely should change the law so we can stop doing this. And I think yeah. he's been like, yeah, I do it because it's not illegal, but it should be legal. I think it was Warren yeah. Buffett who's been like, that's right, guys, like if 20 like, really? of us all, that's the thing that's so maddening for the rest of us, right? Like I've been very lucky. I've, I've. A couple of years ago, I had a couple of years I did really well and I have some breathing room now. I'm not doing as well. And I sit and I stress about that, but I'm very, very lucky. And even I sit here and I go, man, it really is about 20 to 30 people that if they just like, if they cut the shit to a degree that they wouldn't even notice, it would take so much stress off the rest of us. I'm yeah. not even saying take, I'm not even saying own up to it to do it to a degree that it will affect your life. It will not affect your life. It, you'll only own 40% of American commerce instead of right. 43%. That other right. 3% will help so many other people get like braces for their kids and shit. Like that's what's infuriating is like you could find a middle ground where these assholes are still getting away with so much and, and it erases human suffering and they don't do it. And it's weird to say, but I'm like, that's for as gross as like, you know, the Carnegie's and, and the Rockefellers were, at least they did go and build big train stations for the rest of us. And was, right. it, was it so that they could like jerk themselves off in the mirror? Yeah, sure. But they did do <laughs> something for the rest of us. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But Bezos is doing something for the rest of us. And that is going to space and showing us anything is possible. With a loan from your parents. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and we'll talk about that in a second. And we're back. Let's talk <laughs> about some UAP debunking material. Uh, listener Amanda Price, I think other listeners had shared this podcast with us. Amanda shared the time code that included the relevant interview. Shout out to the lazy and disorganized. Yes, thank you. I need it. Uh, and if you could actually start the video for me, that would be Can great. you play uh, it? Put the thing to my ear so I can hear. <laughs> but so I think they just did a really good job of presenting the information that skeptics are trying to get across. So the videos that they're particularly debunking are the Tic Tac videos, like the one where the people are like, whoa, like we locked right. onto it, we got it. And the person doing the debunking is a former video game programmer who therefore has tons of experience doing 3D modeling. And okay. like, so has a really good sense of like perspective and like what something would look like and he points out that, like, 
broadly for the same reason that Biden, Jimmy oh, that Carter picture, bit, picture looked so <laughs> wild. The lens distortion. Uh, yeah, just like perspective and lens dis- distortion. That the Tic Tacs only look like they're moving extremely fast. And he said that, like, if you look at, so if you look at all of the information that's like uh, contained in the video, it is actually probably way up in the sky. The the actual Tic Tac is way up in the sky. It looks like it's speeding over the water. But and I think I got this right. But I'm he I think he's saying that the horizon of the water is actually in the foreground and the Tic Tac is like beyond it. And so as it's moving slowly, it looks like it's speeding over the water and it's it's not. It's just moving. So what is it seeing then? He's basically saying that it's moving the speed of like when you look at how high up it is, that's how fast the wind moves at that level, like with this perspective shift. And he also said it's because it's a black white uh, infrared targeting camera and this it's on a, a black hot setting that the fact that it's white just means that it's extremely cold and so he's saying that it's probably and this is like the standard answer for all uaps or ufos a weather balloon but like that that makes sense it's big enough to like see at a distance to like create weird perspective distortion and it would kind of look like a tic-tac at that distance and the reason that it's like kind of fucking with everybody who looks at it is because the we're looking at it through a camera that is extremely classified that you've like never seen anything through. It's like a targeting. I think it's made by Raytheon and it's like a targeting camera that is super powerful and we don't typically see video from those targeting cameras. So it's just like not something we're used to looking at. So I, you know, he he definitely presents a compelling case. And so my thing is that the Tic Tac has never been the most compelling like thing for me. It's more the eyewitness testimony of that fighter pilot and the two fighter pilots who were in the same plane. And for that, their explanation just seems to be like there are people who believe in UFOs who work in the military and like are lying, basically. And Damn. That's, so we got all these boring ass tech. We still have these boring ass jets and propulsion systems and shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> I did an episode of a podcast with Jason Pargin recently from the executive editor from back when I was at Cracked. And he's he's both interested in like paranormal stuff, but also like fully skeptical. So I was I've been like, oh, we gotta get you on to like talk about the tic tacs. And first of all, he didn't know what I was talking about, but then when I further <laughs> explained He was like, oh, that story's so annoying. Just because, like, someone knows how to fly a plane doesn't mean they're not completely full of shit. (laughs) Which I was like, huh, I guess I can... Like, he's basically saying, like, there there are people in the Pentagon and in the Air Force who just are lying, who want to believe... Tom DeLonge is lying? So that's the thing. DeLonge or whatever? We know that Blink-182 don't lie. So that's the one thing that we can kind of point to. But yeah, I don't know. I still, I don't think this like fully debunks it. I just think it, in terms of the Tic Tac videos, I think it is a plausible explanation. Hmm. Definitely brings my enthusiasm down a little bit. (laughs) Uh, But I'm also like, I'll always, you know, I'll always believe the truth is out there. So that's just me. Yeah. So the thing that I kind of objected to about the this podcast is called like the skeptic podcast or something. Uh, They dismiss the people who like think this stuff is interesting as just being people who like want to have some inside information and like seem smart. And I, I don't, I think that's like not giving it enough credence. Like, I think that's, that's how, that's what I used to say when I was just like assuming that like, we know everything there is to know and uh, anything else is stupid and people need to shut up. Like, I feel like it's just too dismissive and not, sure. not I'm, really I'm always inter- interested in people who actively want aliens to exist. Like, what? <laughs> Why? Like, I need it. I need it. I Why need are it. you so passionate? Yeah, I think what I do you need it for? I have this? the perspective of, like, 
I'm always open to acknowledging that there's things we just don't know. Just yeah. in general, as like a human being, like I, that's I try to have that mindset to be open to like learning things and not be so like that they're absolutes uh, in terms of like what we can or can't know. And so, yeah, so I think in those instances, I'm like, oh, shit, maybe. But I'm definitely not like, come on, like I'm, I cashed out my 401k and I'm going <laughs> uh, UAV hunting or UAB <laughs> right. hunting or whatever, UAP hunting. UAB. You're not looking University for of it. Alabama, Birmingham. Yeah, that um, is UAB hunting. <laughs> exactly. I think it, I, like, there's a spiritual aspect to my wanting to believe in it, like, the same. I, I think it's akin to people wanting to believe in gods or higher powers. Sexy Jesus. Oh, yeah, okay. So Jesus. your religion is UFOs, is what you're saying. I'm not saying that's my religion. Oh, I'm saying okay. that I think there is, like, and it's also, we saw a lot of the really interest and belief in UFOs, like, going up as people became, I think, less religious and went to church less and less. Like, it just creates a, like, big, vast framework for the universe. And, like, I could see a version where, you know, if they are friendly aliens who are just deciding not to kill us, which it seems like they could if they had this technology, then we are on a progressive path towards being. Oh, so you, you want just to believe in the universe. I, I want to believe in the Star Trek version of the uh, the universe where they're just like, they're not quite there yet. But like once they stop killing each other, then we can let them into the club. What if we're just on a germ rock that's utterly fucked? Yeah. <laughs> this is big news. I didn't know Jack was part of the alien church. And it's I mean, I think it's time for you to do my podcast. Church of. Yeah. Church. You just yeah. want there to be something more than this daily sludge this that daily you call case. your life. I, yeah, if I'm psychoanalyzing <laughs> like why I'm open to it, I think that's probably at least part of it. Your openness rather than your strict, you're not saying it's that's, your strict belief. Yeah, it's definitely not my strict belief. And I, yeah, I just think it's interesting. And I think it, like, I used to dismiss it because of a assumption that, like, we knew everything there was to know. And I just don't think that's true. Oh, no, that can't be true. I mean, we're very dumb as a species. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think, yeah, the, the, with that as the foundation, then you're like, if that's true, then many other things are possible if we're dumb as fuck on this <laughs> Right, right. All right, that's going to do it for this week's weekly Zeitgeist. Please like and review the show if you like the show. Uh, means the world to Miles. He he needs your validation, folks. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend, and I will talk to you Monday. Bye.